0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. That sounds better. Great to have you with us this morning. Thanks for joining us here at Grace Crossing Church. Uh, We're glad to be able to continue our series this morning. Got at the box office after we took a couple of week pause uh, in the series and uh, really grateful for the chance to get away with Kelly a couple of weekends ago uh, to celebrate our 37th wedding anniversary, and so grateful for uh, our time together. And really, I think privileged to have a couple of our friends, a couple of friends of Grace Crossing Church here with us the last couple of weekends, uh, Tim Buttry and Corwin Anthony. And uh, if you were not able to be a part of that or listen to their messages, I would certainly encourage you to do that. Tim talked about circumstances are not circumstantial. And then Corwin spoke on Jesus calming the storms. Both messages very affirming, very reassuring for me. uh, And I know will be for you as well. And as I was receiving uh, from their ministry, I was reminded of something Jesus said. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be the one who would teach us. So I was reminded of this, that at Grace Crossing Church, the Spirit of God is our teacher regardless of who the communicator is. That we need to know that the Holy Spirit is still speaking, will always speak through those vessels that he chooses to use regardless of what the instrument is, regardless of who the communicator is. In fact, He spoke in the Old Testament through a donkey, so God can obviously use me. He can use anyone that he so chooses to bring his word, and we're really grateful that the Spirit of God is the one who teaches us here at Grace Crossing Church. So this morning, as we move back into God at the Box Office, let me just mention, uh, before we move into our movies this week, uh, the, the catalyst verse that we're using, we're building it around affirming the vision that God's given us here at Grace Crossing Church. In Micah chapter six, verse number eight, and here's the the scripture. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? It's not a rhetorical question. God is actually going to answer that question for us. Here's what he requires. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. God's will, God's plan, God's vision for your life and for my life is found in just six words Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And this morning, we're going to focus on the third imperative walking humbly with God. Now, humility is first and foremost a walk. The most common motif that we have in scripture for the spiritual journey is that the spiritual journey is a walk. It is putting one step in front of the other. It is moving continuously, constantly in a direction. And the Bible here makes clear that humility is first and foremost a walk, but humility is secondly a relationship. It is a walk with God. Friends, let's not miss that this morning. We are called to follow Jesus, follow God through Jesus, who purely and perfectly lived out and walked out the priorities of God, justice, mercy, and also humility. And then he invites us to follow in his footsteps. Matthew chapter 11 I love this verse 29 out of the Amplified Bible. Learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest, renewal, blessed, quiet for your souls. There are not many places in the Gospels where Jesus actually characterizes himself. And this is one of the few places where Jesus actually tells us about what he is like. He says, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. Now, let me ask you this morning, would you describe yourself that way? Would you describe yourself as gentle and humble in heart? How about this? Would people experience you that way? Do people experience you as gentle and humble in heart. Let me be very honest this morning. I feel unqualified to speak on humility. Because like many of you, I find myself as well wrestling with wanting to cling and hold on to my will, my way, my desires, my longings, my security, my control, my sense of affirmation. And yet, Jesus here tells us that he is gentle and he is humble in heart. Now, listen, before humility can become a walk, humility must become a way of the heart. It must become a way of our heart. And Jesus tells us here that this is the way that he lives out his life, this is his priorities. And it's that which we are all to aspire to. Even if we feel unqualified or underqualified in this area, we must always come back to the priorities of Jesus and how he sets the bar. And he says, humility of heart is is critical. Now that word humility actually is derived from a word that means from the earth or grounded. What I like about that is that I think it is impossible to separate humility from our humanity. We cannot separate those two. In fact, let me let you in this morning on a dirty little secret. Scientists believe that our human body is comprised primarily of just four elements, carbon, Oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen. Which means that like Adam, we are all formed from the elements of the earth. Talk about humble beginnings. There is nothing that keeps us grounded to our humanity like humility does. Humility has a way of reminding all of us that we are human in every sense of the word. And I think it's really critical to understand this, that to become humble means that we become more and more and more authentically human. Let me say that again. In order to become truly humble, we must become more and more authentically human. Because being human means that we are humble, whether or not we admit it we're grounded. We're from this earth. That's the reality. We have limits. Every one of us has limits. Regardless of how strong we may feel, regardless of how accomplished we may feel, we are limited human beings. And so being humble is being human, but not every authentically human person is actually genuinely humble the way God intends it to be. This morning, we're gonna talk about a man in a movie who was both authentically humble and authentically human. The movie today is entitled, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And whether or not you have seen this movie, you will no doubt recognize both the lead character, the actor, Tom Hanks, And you'll also recognize very quickly the protagonist that he actually portrays in this movie. So about a year before this movie was released, I saw a documentary about Mr. Rogers. And uh, I I actually thought when this movie was being portrayed and being presented, I, I thought this movie was going to focus on Fred Rogers, but actually this movie really focuses on a journalist by the name of Lloyd Vogel. It's loosely based on a true story and a true relationship that formed between this journalist and Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers. Lloyd Vogel, um, whose name was changed for the movie, is an accomplished journalist for Esquire Magazine. He was given a task, an assignment, to interview and do a story on Mr. Rogers. Now, this journalist, Vogel, was actually known for his his caustic and his cynical writing style. And so when he takes on this particular task, what he decides he's going to do is he, he doesn't believe that anyone can be as genuinely kind and genuinely nice as Mr. Rogers appears on his children's television network. And so what he does is he sets out to find the blemish on his shiny armor. And what ends up happening is that through the kindness and the decency and the empathy of Mr. Rogers, Vogel actually begins to have his jaded perspective and outlook challenged. And he comes face to face with having to deal and reconcile with his own past that he had buried deep and didn't really want to bring up Or talk about. Now, I grew up with our kids watching the neighborhood of make-believe Mr. Rogers, and I don't think I had any appreciation at the time for his life. I just thought this was a basic children's program that didn't even hold a candle to Sesame Street. I mean, it just wasn't as good, it wasn't as engaging, it wasn't as fun, the music wasn't as, as exciting, and I often wondered, what do my kids see in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? As a grandparent, I was introduced to a spinoff, a children's spinoff of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood entitled Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and many of you know Daniel Tiger was one of his primary characters and puppets in the neighborhood of make-believe. You're going to get to meet Daniel Tiger later. But Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, I watched it multiple times with my grandkids, and I enjoyed it so immensely. I had such a new appreciation because much like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood actually deals with really difficult issues and deals with very delicate emotions that kids feel. And as I've studied the life and I've looked into the background of Fred McNeely Rogers, what I've learned is he was what you saw I've watched multiple interviews with him, and almost every one of those interviews, he was exactly the same person that you saw in the neighborhood of make-believe. From nearly every account that I've read, that he was just the real deal. In fact, here's what I've felt about Fred Rogers, is that he was a guy that was so comfortable in his own skin that he often made other people uncomfortable in theirs, People just didn't know what to do with somebody who was so good and, and kind and caring and quirky. And his quirkiness would often make people uncomfortable. They, they kind of didn't know what to say or, or how to respond. What many of you may not know is that originally he was a, a minister, a Presbyterian minister. He was already into children's programming before that, but when Mr. Rogers' neighborhood took off, he kind of left the vocational side of ministry And he focused his ministry on his childlike faith and on bringing that childlike faith out to other kids and adults alike. And and here's here's what I think. I think as I think of Fred Rogers, I think he really embodies the words that we've been looking at from Philippians chapter two, where it speaks about Jesus. And here's what it says in Philippians two, verses five through seven. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now in the original language, that phrase, made himself nothing, comes from a word which means to empty yourself or literally to willingly and voluntarily let go of your positional power and authority. Here's the big idea for this morning's talk. Humility is willingly letting go Of my need to be the center of the universe. Humility is the voluntary willingness to let go of my need to be the center of attention or the center of my universe. It is about emptying ourselves, it is about making ourselves. Nothing in the sense that we let go willingly of our positional power and our positional authority. Throughout this movie, what I was struck by was how often Vogel, because he was doing the interviewing, wanted Mr. Rogers to be the center of attention. He, he wanted to focus on him. And what Rogers would do with Vogel almost naturally is he would move the attention off of himself and place it on De Vogel. He genuinely cared and wanted to know about what life was like in his universe, what was happening in his orbit. And he moves him there throughout the movie in their relationships. In the scene we're about to see, they are enjoying a meal together, and in the meal, while they're eating, Rogers pauses and invites Vogel to join him in doing something. I just love that scene. I I remember the first time I saw it, how it affected my heart because as I've grown in my own appreciation and awareness of the value and the significance of silence, I know what seems like wasted cinematography film was such a dramatic moment. As what Rogers was doing was inviting Vogel, to actually become aware of something outside of himself, something he's not even aware of. See, we often mistake silence as the absence of noise or sound, but that's not what silence is. Silence has a substance. It has a power. There's something mysterious about silence and yet something profound that happens in us, when we lean into silence, it leans back into us. And it deeply affects who we are. Humility makes room for silence and mystery in our world, in our life. I've often wondered how Jesus could practice silence. knowing who Jesus was, knowing his positional authority, his positional power, I am struck by how Jesus was silent at times when, if it were me, I would have wanted to raise my voice louder, and I would have wanted to become more heard. Matthew chapter 26 Verses 62 and 63, they're questioning Jesus at his arrest. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. How difficult would it be? Put yourself in his place how difficult would it be not to want to defend yourself? Not to want to say, you've got it all wrong. And I've often wondered, how could Jesus practice this level of silence in the midst of what was happening in his life? And I think the answer is given to us back in Philippians chapter two, verse number eight. Being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' humility enabled him to embrace fully his humanity. Jesus' humility empowered him to be able to say yes to God, God's preferred will, even when everything in sight of him would have wanted to do otherwise. Jesus's humility enabled him to actually embrace the cross, which I think you will agree with me, is the highest form of humiliation. Humiliation that anyone could have experienced. One of our spiritual forefathers actually spoke of humility as the ongoing humiliation of our false self so that our true self can more fully emerge, that our true humanity can more fully come out. Let me ask you a question. Do do you have a recollection of one of your earliest experiences of humiliation? Now, I, I didn't say, do you remember the first time you were humiliated? Because I'm sure there were early times in my life I can't recall that I was humiliated, but I can recall one of my earliest memories of humiliation and what it did to me. Along with my friends, I tried out for the junior varsity baseball team at the school that I went to. I grew up playing ball with friends in our town, and, and we were always together when we played baseball, and we, so we decided together to try out for the baseball team at our school. In those days, the coach would actually give you a date when he was going to post on the wall The roster of the team. And if your name did not appear on the roster, it it meant what? That you got cut. You didn't make the team. I had no question that my name was gonna be on the roster. I'll never forget the day, that day. In fact, I can still feel myself standing at the wall. I'll never forget what it was like walking to that wall with my friends And seeing their excitement that their name was on the wall, but mine wasn't. It was as though in that moment I was dropped and plunged into a sea of shame. I felt so sad, so humiliated. I had nowhere to take it. No one to talk to about it. No place to process it. And so I I remember recently God bringing this story back to me as I was dealing with something different and the Lord brought this story up to me. and, And I'll never forget the Lord reminding me that something got locked in my heart that day that he wanted to unlock. There was a sense of deep shame and humiliation that came on me that day. So much so that as I look back, I don't think I ever again played a competitive team sport. I think, honestly, from that day forward, I only played sports that were individual sports that I knew I could win at. And if I didn't feel like I could do well at it, I just simply didn't sign up. I didn't do it. And what the Lord was doing is he was connecting some dots in how humiliation and how shame can pull us into a place where it affects our life, it affects the way that we live, it affects the way that we affect others and impact other people, my case, I can see how it affected my leadership at times. And there is nothing that brings about a sense of our grounding like humiliation does. Now, that spiritual forefather actually went on to say this. He said that he prays often, in fact daily, for humiliation of his false self. Think about that. I can tell you that I have choked those words out a few times. But that is not an easy prayer. As I have grown in my trust of God, I've learned to pray that more easily. But make no mistake, it's not an easy prayer to pray. Because what it is, is it's an invitation to allow God to help you walk in humility just like Jesus walked in humility. There is uh, one of our spiritual forefathers known as Benedict, who in the early part of the 6th century, and, and he's probably the one who most largely shaped uh, Western Christianity uh, as, we, as we know it today. Uh, but he is uh, he is known for creating what he called the rule of life where at the center of the rule of life is love of god and love for god that everything else flows around that our rest and our prayer our work and our relationships all flow out of a center place and that center place is our love for god and our love of god one of the other things that he provided for us it has been such a gift to me is what he called the ladder of humility. We have a copy of the ladder of humility this morning. And here are the steps of it, and I, I just want to quickly refer to them, and, and then I want to just touch on the top two. He says, step number one is fear of God and mindfulness of him. Now see if any of these resonate with you in your own journey of humility. Number two is doing God's will, not your own or other people's. Step three is willing to subject ourselves to the direction of others. Step four is patient to accept the difficulty of others. Step five is radical honesty to others about your weaknesses and your faults. Step six, we become deeply aware of being the chief of sinners. And then notice step number seven, silence, speaking less. And the ultimate step of humility is that there is a transformation into the love of God. I believe with all of my heart that you cannot separate silence and even humiliation from God's love. That there is a false self in us that God has to continually humiliate so that the true self in us, that's created in the image and likeness and truth of God, can more fully emerge. And what I found interesting in this movie was how Rogers did not try to rescue Vogel from his humiliations. There were several places along this movie where I'm getting uncomfortable. I'm watching it thinking, that's just so awkward. And yet, Rogers is okay to stay in the moment with him and let him feel the depth and the gravity of his own humiliation. Like this scene where he is just beginning to probe Rogers about his own struggles and burdens of everyone talking or wanting his attention. He's like, what do you do with your burdens? And what Rogers does is Rogers moves to his burdens. He empathizes with his pain again. And it's such an interesting scene. Humility does not mean that we think less of ourselves. Humility means we think of ourselves less means that we can move into other people's narratives and stories, that we can empathize with their struggles, their difficulties, their burdens, and we can help carry it. A few verses earlier in Philippians chapter two, I I love how Paul leads us into the narrative about Jesus as our model of humility. He says this, verses three and four, do nothing, do nothing. From selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, contrary to what you may have been taught or, or told or what you may believe, the Bible here or nowhere teaches that we should not be concerned with our own interests. That's not what this verse says. This verse actually says, let us not only be concerned with our own interests, but also the interests of others. There is a balance between us in humility, caring well and loving ourselves, and in humility, caring well and loving others. There is a balance in us carrying our burdens and also being okay and capable and strong enough to help shoulder the burdens of those around us. And throughout this movie, that's what Rogers does. He actually doesn't think less of himself, He simply is thinking of himself less. And he's thinking of what Vogel needs. And at one point in the movie, we see the culmination of some of this, what I would call good, emotionally healthy work that Rogers is doing. And one of the things he's helping him do is one of the principles of emotional, healthy spirituality. He's helping him go back to break the power of the past so that it can lose its control over our present and our future. And Vogel has a long journey. At one point, he he has a dream. And in this dream, he's actually dropped right into the middle of the neighborhood of make-believe. Literally, he is on set of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And actually, it isn't Vogel, It's actually Old Rabbit that shows up in his dream. I've learned in my own life that one of the most difficult places to walk in humility is to walk to my past. Just like Vogel, I think there needs to be those moments where God can lead us down the corridor to some past places that he wants to deliver us from. He wants to set us free from. That God does not want those scripts, those patterns, those stories, those shadows to continue to get in the way of the things that he wants to do in our lives. Let me tell you, friends, the walk of humility is a walk of courage, And there's no place that courage will have to be more demonstrated and exercised than in your willingness to go back to break the power of the past so that you can go forward and be free. As we wind this message down this morning, there is one way, I think, in which we follow Jesus in this walk of humility that I think is revealed for us in a passage that we looked at in the first week of this series, Got at the Box Office, that I want to return to briefly this morning. It's actually a, a passage that tells us where we can find Jesus here on the earth and how we can walk toward Jesus and walk with him and how we can walk humbly with God. These words actually, if you have a Bible that has red letter uh, in it, which are the words of Jesus, this is the red letter text in the New Testament. These words come right directly from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 25, verses 36, 35 and 36. Jesus here tells us where we can find him. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. This, in a nutshell, is the kingdom of God. This is God's work here on earth, and it's God's invitation for us to walk humbly with God here on earth. Now, we learned after the first of the year by getting correspondence From organizations that we supported with our giving tree this year, we got feedback and we got letters of thanks. And one of the things we learned, surprisingly, is this year we were one of the only churches that came alongside and supported the holiday drives of these organizations. So during this pandemic, while the needs are going this way, the support and donations are going this way. Because it's, many churches aren't meeting as regularly. They aren't doing some of the things. They're cutting back perhaps because of a decrease in their own budgets. And yet Jesus' words here are very, very clear, friends. That we will find Jesus when we move to those places where we find people that are hurting and broken and having difficulty, and that is not based on our circumstances or our convenience. It is what Jesus calls us to do. Because here's what I believe firmly, and I want you to focus on the third thing Jesus said here. I was a stranger. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I don't know how you would define a stranger, but I think of a stranger as someone that we are, that is unfamiliar or someone with whom I am uncomfortable. Think about strangers, right? They are people that you may be unfamiliar with or people with whom you may feel uncomfortable. No doubt in this movie, Rogers and Vogel went from strangers to friends because when we welcome a stranger we welcome Jesus when we welcome a stranger we welcome someone who can become a friend Tony Campolo who some of you may be familiar with been around for many years uh, in the evangelical circle he's a professor of sociology actually at Eastern University in Philadelphia Pennsylvania he told a story that i heard Actually, that's pre-pandemic. But it's a story that's profound nonetheless. One of the major streets in Philadelphia is a street called Chestnut Street, which actually, interestingly, is the name of the street I grew up on, Chestnut Street. But it's one of the main thorough throughout Philadelphia, where much of the activity and life of Philadelphia happens. He said one day, he was walking down Chestnut Street and he saw a homeless man coming toward him. He said the guy was having a conversation but there was nobody with him. He was just talking into the air randomly, having a spirited conversation. He said he obviously was a little off for some reason. He said this man, you could tell, had not showered perhaps in weeks. He had greasy hair, he said he had a greasy beard, He was drinking a McDonald's cup of coffee and he said around the rim of the coffee cup, you could see the stains from where he had put the cup against his mouth and his beard. And he said, as I was walking down Chestnut Street, I saw this man and most people are passing on the other side of the street, but somehow this guy got my attention and he called out to me as I'm walking down Chestnut Street and he says, hey, Mr., He says, do you want a sip of my coffee? He said, the last thing I wanted to do was take a sip of that guy's coffee. But something, he said, prompted me that I should do it. So he said, I took a sip of his coffee and I said, I grit my teeth and I, I prayed to get it down. And then he said, I handed the cup back to the man and I said to him, hey, what's up with you? What's going on with you today? He said, he said, who shares their coffee with just a random stranger on the street? And the homeless man said to Compolo, he said, well, I just thought this. He said, I thought if God gives you something good, you should share it. He said, in that moment, I knew I was getting set up. It was going to cost me 20 bucks. I just knew it. He said to the guy, you want something from me, don't you? And he goes, yes, I do. I want a hug. He said, that guy, this homeless guy, he said, wrapped his arms around me and began to hug me. He said, he put me in a bear hug, and I knew immediately he was not gonna let me go. He said, all these cars are passing. I'm feeling humiliated. I wish he'd asked for 20 bucks. And he says, there I am feeling humiliated in the arms of this homeless guy. And then all of a sudden, the scripture came to me. And as the scripture came to me, he said, all of my humiliation began to fade away and began to turn in awe and wonder. The words of Jesus saying, I was homeless and you hugged me. I think the walk of humility means that we are willing to walk into places that make us uncomfortable. The walk of humility means we're, to, we're called to go places with Jesus that disrupt us internally, that make us feel as though we are out of our element and yet is the way in which we get in touch with our most authentic humanity. I think the final thing, and I think this is beautifully illustrated in the movie that I'd say about humility is that humility is likely the only thing that I know that can make reconciliation and forgiveness possible. Vogel had a long-standing history of alienation from a dad who was not with him, abandoned him when he was young. And yet he really does what these words are. His dad to him was a stranger in many ways. And yet he goes toward the stranger. At the end of the movie, we see reconciliation happen. Sadly, I think many people will live their entire life and never really learn how to live. They'll never get it. Because what his dad was understanding is that the way to be most authentically human is to be authentically humble. You cannot separate those two. This past week, I went to one of our staff members and I asked forgiveness for something that I had done. Whether or not they were aware of it, whether or not they felt anything, I did. And I knew I needed to go and I needed to apologize and ask for forgiveness. We can always make excuses for why we didn't mean to do something or why we didn't intend it to be that way, but the reality is humility is the only thing that makes reconciliation and forgiveness in God possible. It makes strangers friends. Let me leave you with a reflection question. Where might God... Be inviting, be inviting you to walk humbly toward another person, possibly, possibly even a stranger? Where might God be inviting you to walk humbly toward another person? You might feel resistance, but, but where will God say, go toward them, move toward them? Because when you do, don't look now, but you're moving toward Jesus. What we do to the least of these We do unto him. Let me leave you with 1 Peter chapter five as I close. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For notice this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but God affirms, surrounds, and strengthens the humble. So tomorrow morning, when you get dressed, let me encourage you, put on something else. Tomorrow morning, put on humility. Because when you walk in humility, you walk like Jesus. And when you walk like Jesus... You will find yourself at a place of being more and more authentically human the way God intended you to be. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.